Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. Uh, we have a small crew here today. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, we've got Josh Torres. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? What is it? It's going through Monster to Rise again with the same weapon type, same everything, and just because Capcom didn't support cross-save, you're just literally doing the same thing again. It reminds me like when you're going to like a drive through window and you're like, I'm going to totally get something different this time. And then you yeah. never do it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like <laughs> one SpongeBob meme where it's like these um, part where Squidward's taking an order from a fish and he's like, I'm going to have a uh, monster rise with my main weapon and maybe I'll use different charms. Daring today, aren't we? <laughs> and uh, you heard his voice there. That is uh, James Galizio. Hey, folks. So Adam, who had normally joined us on this podcast, is feeling under the weather. And Chow, I assume, is asleep or stuck in a FF14Q. So just the three of us today. And we had our kind of our our clip show episode of our podcast last week, where we went through basically all the catch-up news from December through early January. We went through all of our RPG site features from the end of the year, our picks for the end of the year, our anticipated games for 2022, and all that. So now we're really into truly standard like ramp up mode for this year, and uh, as as maybe not unexpected, it's the first half of January still, and it's pretty quiet. So we've kind of been—I don't know about you two, but I've kind of just been like trying to knock off some things off my list because January is not that packed while we wait for the heavy hitters in February. So we'll talk a little bit about maybe some of the small games we've been playing to fill the time other than Monster Hunter Rise uh, and look through some of the news that has dropped in January about upcoming release dates. It seems like the big theme this week is indie games, not not new games in most cases, but like new platforms, new announcements or some release dates for some ports. Uh, so we'll go into that and maybe see uh, what we think we're interested in looking at. So I guess I'll just start with you, Josh, because you mentioned Monster Hunter Rise. I, too, have uh, got the PC version of the game. I did not play it on Switch, and I've only played for about an hour. And right now, I'm basically trying to get used to the fact that I played so much time in World with basically all my gear put in place, having like unlimited money and items and starting back from scratch is a bit weird. Uh, I wonder if it does it feel like weird when you're basically doing that across the same game that you played on Switch last year? Um, a little bit, but it, it it it's kind of refreshing in the sense that I don't have to... Oh, I, I'm starting to get there now, but I, at first I didn't have to like worry about like, oh, like what's my, my, my end game setup? The end game, like... For me, at Switch was just a melting pot hell of like getting, you know, the right talisman, uh, essentially with the right gem slots. And this was like, oh, okay, just have to worry about like, uh, since I'm a, I, I play hammer, all I have to worry about is like, okay, these are the ar- uh, armor pieces I want. Here are the weapons, and it, the progression is very fast once like you kind of know what you're aiming for. But like, I, I've been playing a shit ton with friends, like you know, helping them get catch up, caught up. And then, you know, progressing. So I, I already have like almost 30 hours into this uh, PC version. And, and it released like, on I, Wednesday. And we're recording yeah. this on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I kind of played a lot. And I'm like at the high, at the end of like high rank seven, I almost have the urgent quest, quest. And to contextualize that, that's basically like almost all the content that the starting launch version of the game was before they patched in the rest of the game. Like I, I'm almost like at the end of that. And then 
um, progressing like uh, uh, beyond that. Like it still takes a bit of time, but you know, I'm not really rushing. But it just so happens that like there's no other game on my plate right now that like I'm like dying to get to or that I have to get to for for the site. So I'm just like, well, okay, well, I I don't really I'm not really looking forward to much at like the immediate like future like um maybe i'll get around to the pc port of god of war uh, that that seems really cool but you know that's not like a new game um the pokemon legends i i've been like not into pokemon for like a long time i don't know if this will be the one that'll maybe go oh i'm like really into this new format of pokemon i i think that's one of those things that i need someone with like the perspective who hasn't who shares the same perspective as me as like not having been into pokemon they have to tell me Hey, look! This is something you're gonna be really into because this is the way like the, this makes it feel good. Like because for me, when I pick up Pokemon games, like on the rare occasion that I do, like uh, I think like the last one I picked up, like that, that was like a standard Pokemon game was like Pokemon X and Y. I'm not sure. Was hey, I was X that's better than me. I the last I've played is uh, Sinnoh Platinum. Yeah, yeah, and then like uh, within like maybe under two hours i got super bored of that and then all the other pokemon games like i i understand why people like them it's just not really for me anymore but maybe uh pokemon legends arceus is you know maybe that'll switch things up enough to make it feel like cool again which it, it but, does but who, who knows if i'll like it by the way there have been two trailers or i think like one trailer and one commercial we'll talk about them later in the podcast where they do pronounce it arceus so I remember we always have joked or been stupid about how to properly pronounce it. And I bet, you know, Pokemon's not consistent. I bet there's clips in the anime where they say Arceus or something different. But I don't know. Arceus is how it. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. So that that one, uh, we, there was a pretty long trailer from Nintendo, the Pokemon company, that we'll discuss on that later. As for Monster Hunter Rise, it's weird because I'm playing it basically in the boat where... Uh, well, let me back up a bit. Normally in this uh, early section of our podcast, we kind of talk, we, we try to like rank which games we want to talk about, usually like prioritizing new releases or releases that a, a person recently reviewed uh, or things like that, where now it's just kind of like us trying to fill time. So Monster Hunter Rise obviously is a new release on PC, but we've also kind of maybe not talked it to death on the podcast, but we've, we've covered it extensively. Um, my The thing that I'm noticing about myself when I've played my little bit of Rise on PC that I have is that when I went into World and Iceborne on PC, I was basically a complete completionist for it. I was doing all the requests, all of like the deliveries, every single side, you know, task. And I ended up putting like 800 hours into it. And I like, I was there on day one for all of it. It was basically a games as a service game in a way. And I, I went, I went through when they added, you know, all the way up through Fatalis. But now on Monster Hunter Rise, I just kind of want to experience it just so that I can like, see how it does things differently, see how the canines and the felines, uh, you know, and the wire bugs and all the different like new mechanics work, see how it plays uh, based on yeah, the Switch I, game. Like, I don't like even on Switch, like I never touched like a shitload of the quests because they were relevant to me, like all these Switch skills to unlock the other weapons, Switch skills and what whatnot. I'm like, I don't care. I'm playing Hammer until like I feel like playing something else. So I don't have to worry about these or all the delivery quests that like one lock you know whatever a design for some weapon i'm like i don't or like or like an, uh, a decoration for your room I, that's another thing yeah. that i did and uh I, I spent all of the research points on world like getting all of the room decorations and i spent like way too much time decorating that thing and i never really invited anyone to see it it was just for my own like 
my own pleasure yeah. or whatever. But yeah. now it's weird going into Rise when I'm like just now unlocking like side quests and stuff. I'm like, nope, don't care. It almost yep. feels like liberating where it's like, it's not because I don't like the game. It's just because I feel like I'm still not that far removed from world and having sunk half my life into it where I'm just like, I want to experience this game, but I just want to experience like the the golden path or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'd say like, yeah, I gave you like, a, I recommend you like, like say like, See it so you see you can see like every monster at least once, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that that that'll get you like a good amount of time in the game, but you didn't sink like half your life into the game. So I, I think that's a that's a good way to go about it. And it's still it's still like very like fun and different. Like I like uh, I feel like I'm one of the minority that like prefers Rise over World and Iceborne because I just like that it's very to the point. Like when it comes to like the town hub. You don't have to do like so much like walking around the town hub to find like ten different NPCs. It's like everything's very like very, it's like old it's monster. Like two hunter where, yeah, everything is very uh, constrained. Like every like everyone's by each other. Everyone's you know you don't have to walk too too far to go where you need to go. And there's like a quick travel around the village as well to like every single part. Um, it's very so, functional. And, yeah, and I like that. The, the arenas or like the stages and the levels are very like they're more wide open and it's it's visually more clear um unlike world and iceborne where like there are some zones where especially like you remember the, the starting forest and world it's very visually cluttered and it's like hey I, I wonder why you needed scott flies to know where the fuck to go because it's hard to like know where the hell you're going in those stages even after you spend a certain amount of hours into it. You stop to be like, "Oh, Scott flies. Where, yeah. where, where do I go?" I'm like, "There are they not just... in Rise? No, they're not in Rise. You you, you see them. You, you basically see the monster right, right away if you like. Yeah, you've identified it. Like you always know where the monster is. You don't have to like sniff its tracks or like the the monster pooped here, so it must have gone over there. Um, you'll always know where the monster is once you've like identified it the first time." And that might have that might have been born out of switch constraints originally, but even on a, like a design consideration, it does kind of make it maybe less immersive, but more like just more clean, more more easy to like come to, to come to grasps with. Yeah, it's just it's just I, more I, to the point. I I, I kind of preferred the Rise's design overworld in that aspect. Like uh, to me, the funnest part about Monster Hunter is hunting the monsters, um, not tracking down where the monsters are. Well, even even how like Astora is that the name of the first city in Monster Hunter World, where it's like a four level city that you have to like use these wire carts to get up and down or these tracks, and it's just like and then like in the uh, the Kamara Village, it's just like here's the street, here's the quest, lady, here's the shop, here's the yeah, street. there you go. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in Monster Hunter World, I basically was a basic bitch and just played longsword almost the entire time. I did a little bit of dual blades, but mostly longsword. I'm like, all right, Brian, don't be. Mm-hmm. The SpongeBob meme and <laughs> just change your like just do something different. But I also kind of chickened out a little bit because I'm like, all right, I want to do something different, but I also just kind of want to experience the story, you know, at on a on a brisk pace. So I don't want to do something like super like involved, like having to deal with coatings or ammo, like a bow gun or a or whatever. So what what can I pick? That's a good happy medium. And I I think I picked switch switchblade, switch axe. Okay. Where it's like okay, it'll it'll feel a little bit like longsword, but have a little bit more going on. I didn't want to do greatsword just because I felt like it was too slow. Um, I thought maybe about gunlance, but that would I think that has an ammo component. I'm not sure. I'm not a monster hunter vet. I've only I only know how to play longsword because I am I am stupid. I have low IQ. <laughs> but uh, but I, so I actually am going to try something 
different with the switchblade and it seems it seems fun so far but i've really only done it on like a couple hunts and a little bit in the training arena uh but that, that's yeah, basically be- my uh my stretching out and trying something different for this run through yeah before sunbreak i'll probably pick up like a secondary weapon i'll probably maybe maybe try out bow I, I might just go for like a ranged option um before sunbreak comes out and then try to switch between hammer and whatever i end up with but who knows um but other like you know the pc port you know as as james reported months back with his uh pre- preview build that's it's pretty pretty amazing it's really good it running at 144 fps for me no drops uh the load times on an ssd you know is so good like you just get it to hunt super fast uh like it like the switch version like it's like the load times are like not crazy, but like there's still a considerable amount of time between hunts because of the load times. And this one, you're just going in and out very fast. Um, then, you know, there's not there's not much to say about it except it's really the PC port is really good. Um, yeah, but, and I, I remember before they added DLSS support in World, it kind of it it was a it was a burden on my PC, and I had a pretty strong PC. Like it didn't run great; it ran okay. But Rise, it just no issues at all really smooth don't don't need to tweak settings don't need to use dlss just i mean obviously it's kind of a simpler geometry simpler textures it doesn't like i think world had that big optional like 20 gig i don't know if it's that big a pretty big high resolution texture pack so i guess rise kind of doesn't have quite as many bells and whistles but it, it looks clean it looks fine it looks good and it runs well at least it, for me so no no real complaints there yeah there are definitely like noticeable things you can see like just visual enhancements uh, across like if you play the switch version and the pc version like the lava cavern zone for example like the underground uh looks so much better on the pc version like it, it's so much more visually clear and you like it's easier to see off in the distance where you need to go and like it's not so muddy i'm like where the hell am i going it's uh, at times in these dark places like it's much more visually clear on the pc it makes a difference and also it helps too that you know, monsters off in the distance, like, you know, run at full frame rate. You know, they're not like kind of like stuttery or choppy. Oh, uh, right. The resource yeah, because, like load management or whatever you call it yeah. when they, when they're half frame rate, when they're out of your field of view. Yeah, or it always looks really, really jank. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm happy to like just, you know, I wish cross save was there, but you know, whatever. I'm still having fun. Um, and I just want to be, I'm so glad that the Sunbreak expansion is going to be day and date on Switch and PC. So, you know, there's not some weird arbitrary delayed date like Iceborne was on PC. So I'm really excited to, you know, check out everything new all over again this summer that comes out. Since we don't have Adam's computer brain here, let me remind myself, uh, what, when is the Sunbreak expansion date? Uh, it's not dated. It's just summer. oh, it's not. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was hoping to maybe have like a uh, basically a due date for when I need to be through a uh, main game. But if it's just summer, it sounds like it shouldn't be that. Hard yeah, you, you have a lot of time. Don't don't worry right. about it. Just play play it at your own pace, and then don't don't, don't procrastinate too. So one of the games that I've been playing to try to fill time before some uh, late January releases is, and this is a bit random, but Yakuza Six. So, like, last year, basically, a whole bunch of Yakuza games came to a PC and, I believe, Xbox. Like, the remastered collection, 3 through 5 and 6. And maybe uh, some of the Kwame games hit some platforms that they weren't originally on. And my goal was to basically play through the series. I played through 3, liked it a fair bit. I played through 4, thought it was a bit long on the tooth. 
average. It was fine. And then I played through five and I just hated it. Just at that point, I don't know if it was fatigue. I don't know if it was um, just the game itself. I don't know if it was just the fact that I was still trying to do most of the side sub events and mini games or whatever. And at that point, I was just wearing myself thin. But I played through five, and then like as soon as I saw the credits, I'm like, I don't want to know, I don't want to touch a Yakuza game ever again. <laughs> uh, but now uh, I kind of felt like I, I I had heard from the past when it released a few years back that Yakuza Six kind of corrected a lot of the mistakes from five, and it, you know, it, back to a single protagonist, back to a limited number of locations, not quite so bloated in terms of uh, packing it full of you know, random sub events and mini games and other game modes that don't really add to the experience. So I'm like, all right, this is the last one I have. I've played zero through five. I've played like a dragon. So this will be the last mainline Yakuza game that I need to do for my, I don't know, my, my history lesson or whatever. So I didn't want to leave that gap open, figured I'd play it. And I'm about, I'm at chapter like nine of 13. I've been playing it again, kind of like Monster Hunter Rise, very, very straight through mainline, not doing a lot of sub events, not doing a lot of mini games, because uh, I feel like I've gotten my fill of that. So just focusing on the story, focusing on the you know just concluding the narrative arc of you know Kiryu Kazuma's story, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than four or five. And I think it's a little bit of that less is more, both in terms of the scope of the game and me not burning myself out by feeling I have to do everything. Uh, but yeah. also, this this might be an obvious statement. This is going to be an obvious statement, but it's even more obvious when you play them in order. So when I played through the games last year, and I went from Kiwami Two to Yakuza Three HD Remaster, it was obviously very clearly a, a visual step down, going from the Dragon Engine to the the older engine. Even though it had been touched up, it was still clearly based on you know the two thousand nine game or whenever that came out. And then I, but I kind of acclimated to Yakuza, how Yakuza's three, four, and five look. And I thought, yeah, these look, these games look fine. They look nice, and you can play them in a high resolution on PC, so they clean up pretty well. And then I'm like, what what, what that resulted in is when I'm playing Yakuza six, uh, I'm like, oh my god, this game is gorgeous, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you just get like a, you're you're transported back two decades or, or about forward two decades. You're like, whoa. Yeah. technology really changed <laughs> so you just have like a fucking super high fidelity cure you so this fucking mean ass smirk but he looks at something like oh there's again. this one there's this there's this one chapter in the middle of the game where you're like fighting in a sauna and it's got like like a sweat across like the characters faces and it looks yeah. like really like sweat and sloppy and appropriate i'm like wow this is so great uh and then like whenever it goes into like one of the video file cutscenes from the original ps version is that, is that what it was on ps4 it's uh, not yeah. quite as high resolution as the pc version so it's almost kind of weird where it's like no this this bink file or whatever it is looks worse <laughs> <laughs> and i know when the game first released people complained that the dragon engine was very very like resource intensive and it still is but you know gpus have come a bit since then so i'm still running it okay at 4k 60 or 4k just under 60 in some of yeah, the yeah that, that, that was the first game on the dragon engine so a lot of optimizations were made you know ever since then but that was very much the you know they built a new engine from the ground up and you know the, as with most new engines you know sometimes things don't come together at the, until like later iterations when they kind of identify you know what can be approved improved upon in um, terms of the yeah. story itself it's i do like that it's very very narrowed the scope the the premise of the story is that um 
well, it's kind of weird because like if I talk about the premise of Yakuza 6, you kind of spoil Yakuza 5. Uh, the premise of the story is a very like a very focused character centric story between Haruka, Kiryu and this child named Haruto. And basically the, there's an injury early in the game and you don't know why it was caused or what the reasoning for for it was. And you basically that's the whole crux is why did this happen what is the deeper meaning behind this and then of course it draws into like the different factions across the whole series that the tojo clan obviously the jingwan mafia from i believe yakuza 2 uh the sayo triad which i believe is a chinese faction new to this game the weird thing is is that the only thing i don't quite like about the story i love the narrow scope i love the small character focus uh i love that it's not trying to be too big and too like world ending to the extent that yakuza gets <laughs> uh but they're there's these there's these moving factions around as there typically are in these games but i i can't quite get a pulse of like what they are fighting over there's a section in yakuza uh sorry in chapter nine of yakuza six or chapter 10 where it's like i pretended to have a conflict between the tojo clan and the chinese triad but that was just a setup but now they're really fighting it's just like this weird like intrigue where it's just like i don't understand like what is what is the center of this conflict other than these people want power it's so it's hard to get a latch on that but uh yeah it'll things will make sense to you like you know as you move on through the game because that that stuff is explained on like why like this whole premise is meaningful of like it seems ridiculous at first like but it, it it makes more sense as you go on i'm really curious to think what do you think about later game stuff that is revealed to you and I, i'm also really curious on like you know once you reach the end of the game uh, i'm very curious to see like what your reactions are like to the final cutscene of that game because i think uh for me and for many others like the 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 final like like cutscene uh sequence of events in yakuza 6 are like some of the most emotional stuff in the series that like it really it really gets to you like you know if you've been with the series you know it, uh, for, for a while like you know and the more play- games you've played uh, the better in mm-hmm. that aspect it's uh it, it's a really you know the, i won't talk about like you know like <laughs> th- things that will spoil you on like what, what i think the faults are uh in this game but the overall theme uh that it tries to convey and that's like really summed up uh, at the final cutscene, like it really still hits home for me like uh just you know it, when it comes to like most memorable like video game cutscenes, like that that this would rank high uh, for me it definitely feels like there's a lot less a word that i've been using a lot with yakuza especially with four and five is contrived and mm-hmm. there's this one scene in yakuza five where uh the i don't i don't remember the antagonist's name i know it's i can picture his face he's from the uh omi alliance i believe and there it's like they won't show themselves unless us four protagonists fight each other guess we better <laughs> do that <laughs> so they're like they're like there are other the four of them uh akiyama kiryu saijima and um the cop dude no not the cop the... dude it's it's uh in yakuza 5 it's um, oh yakuza 5 oh the, the baseball, baseball player dude. i don't remember his yeah. name shinada and then shinada, yeah. they're, they're just like guess we better fight each other let's pair up and do exactly what <laughs> the what, what, they, what they want it reminded me of like the final fantasy 13 like guess we better you know fight bartandalus <laughs> or whatever um but uh, this game or yeah yakuza 6 isn't quite as bad the worst it gets is where you meet someone and you originally think they're part of the yome uh yakuza clan and but instead they're part of the chinese mafia 
and you're like oh okay like that's that's a bit soap opera, but it's fine. It's it's a it's, it makes a little bit more sense. Yakuza is so like that. Like it's like oh, I was really this all along. And sometimes in the same Yakuza game, they're like, no, actually, I was this all along. <laughs> 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 uh, Anyways, Yakuza, Yakuza Six is for me a breath of fresh air. After four and five, really soured me on the games a bit. If I had yeah, to rank I, them so far, like uh not including six because I haven't finished it. I still think I have to this is a bit cheeky, but I have to put like a dragon at the top just because um uh it's an RPG and that's what I'm gonna you know be be calibrated towards. Uh that's then Yakuza Yakuza Zero, then probably three. I really like three a mm-hmm. lot. I uh, thank Kwame, you. you know, a lot of people didn't like three because it was like super janky gameplay wise. But I uh, like I, I I held that opinion when I first picked it up like, as a younger you know individual back then, and then like I was like ah okay whatever. But but I played it recently, and I'm like a bit older now. Like I come to appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, and then four and five, uh, Kwame and Kwame two are kind of tied after that, and then four and five are kind of tied after that. So yeah. I'm really, really curious to see what the new uh, what the new Yakuza looks like. That's there's so many there's so much potential and possibility on, on what their next iteration of like the turn of the RPG format is going to be. Yep. Uh, as an aside, during that conversation about Yakuza Six, uh, we were joined by Chao Minwu. Welcome, Chao. Hello. How's it going? Hey. So yeah, uh, we got Chao with us now. Uh, Chao, we've just basically been talking about games that we've been playing in January just to kind of, because I think most of us are in a similar space where we're kind of waiting for more of the games to release. Nothing like we're, we're still obviously like two weeks into the year. So I assume that I guess this will be a good transition to talk about to you and James that you're kind of doing end game uh, Endwalker stuff at the moment. That's my that's that's my educated guess. So how's yeah. how's Endwalker been going uh, as we get a little bit further from the release date and the queue chaos into January? But the queue isn't that bad anymore. I get in about like two hundred queues when I log in in peak hours sometimes, and maybe a thousand five hundred. It's a lot. It's a lot better now. It's not, I, yeah, uh, they're, they're finally gonna they're finally gonna resell that game on what the twenty seventh, I think, January twenty. All right, yeah, that was that was the news bit this week, which I don't know if you have on the podcast, but yep, the uh, the game is for sale again and a uh, new Oceania server, which I guess the, they they've not had servers. before. So servers, basically, yeah. So basically, they're going to add an entire new data center for Oceania players. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to hash out because I don't think it'll necessarily help the queues because most of the Oceania players are either on the Japanese data center, which hasn't been as crowded as um, the North American data centers. And uh, also one thing to consider is that like, if they're playing on North American data centers and they're Australian, they're going to be logging in when the queues already aren't a problem anyways because of time zone differences. And they might already, I assume, as an outsider, that they might already be, if they're already playing the game, they already have their guilds and FCs or whatever on whatever data center they're on, so they're not going to be that motivated to shift off. On the Yeah, but on the flip side, they'll have less ping because they're going to be uh, right. actually Oceania-based servers. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always possible that, like, you know, maybe, like, there's, like, an Oceania-based guild, guild, like, we'll just all make a mass shift over to that the data problem center. Is, the problem is any players that got housing. Then they wouldn't want to move because like you can you can migrate an FC if everyone like if it's like an Oceania like based FC 
that wouldn't be so much of a problem. But if they have like guild housing, if they have all of those like stuff, all of those things in their company chest, it's like, I feel it's tough. I feel like there should have been something that um, Square could have done to be like, hey, as a one-time thing, if you're like an Oceania-based like FC and you can prove it and you're moving to the new data center, we will like help you like get like your guild house. Prove it. Give us your address. Or <laughs> something. I don't know. I mean, it's easier said yeah. than done, but it's just take like, a sure. picture of a koala and send it to us. <laughs> well, at least they did give some incentive to move like to the new servers. You get like double EXP and all that other stuff. Free game time if you reach level 30, you know. There is some some incentive to move, but housing is definitely a big part of not moving because housing is next to impossible to get that they have a lottery system. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so how's um, the rating been treating you, Chow? Have you uh, done... I passed two. I haven't tried three because I play as a healer and I heard too many horror stories, so I'm just going to chill for a little bit. <laughs> what, are, what are the horror stories? Yeah. Give, me, give, me a cl- give me a clip of the horror stories. Um... So I haven't paid too much attention to the um the raids past like P2S because I still need to clear your P1S. I'm not worried about it. It's just I haven't taken a chance to like hop into a party finder and whatnot. It, it from what I've seen, I've gotten like halfway through to the encounter before and looking at the rest of the mechanics, it's not that bad. Especially now that thank God Party Finder was like, okay, we're not going to do the incredibly dumb uh, have the tanks take damage down stat. But, yeah, um, there's some really, really dumb things. But in in the third one, I don't know. I'm just looking at Party Finder. There's like 10 different strats. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Should I even use Party Finder? There's a Hector strat. There's a Nato strat. There's an Ilya strat. Like I, I think like that's actually strat. interesting when like before like the meta is established or the, you know, this is the way pugs do this or guilds do this when there's people trying to try. Obviously, I haven't played this game particularly, but I, I think right. it's interesting that the, yeah. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is a North American data center problem. Like uh, the European. Yeah, everyone else, everyone else has got it figured out. Yeah. Like here's <laughs> here's something you need to know about 14 culture is that the North American data centers are dumb. Like really, <laughs> really fucking dumb. Because like both the European and Japanese data centers have this thing. They got their shit macros. figured out. Basically, they they have these community macros that you can just copy and put into your own thing where it's like, it'll just have a list of all the mechanics, small diagrams. And it's like, okay, if you're a healer, here's where you need to be during this mechanic or where you, and the movements you need to do. If you're a tank, if you're a range, if you're melee, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of having to be like, Hey, have you watched a video? Have you progged the fight? Do you know where you need to be? You can just post the macro and it's like, okay, Here's what you need to do, and North but they want to they, they, they want to find it out for themselves, man. It's like kind of like a, like yeah. a Destiny raid where, like, you know, you, if you just, if you're going to it for the first time, you just want to experience it for the first time and waste everyone's time when they're trying to clear it as fast as possible. You know, do they have like audio callouts? Because I know uh, it's not much of a raiding game, but back when it did add raids, Guild Wars Two, there was a few like lunchbox add-ins where it was like. You know, player six, yeah. player player six to star marker. You know, tank, I, I think two, the game, two or whatever. I think the game does a good job of 
having its own in-game audio callouts, you just got to realize it. Like, um, X-Trial 2, you can hear the sound effect, and you kind of know where to go if you turn your sounds on. Like, what is it? You can hear the bubble sound effect, and you know you're she's going to use water. Or you can hear, like, an earth crackling sound, and you know she's going to use the earth attack. Uh, you mean, you, know mean, you know, but telegraphs, like, designed into the game? We can't have that. We need a... I need an overlay that has an arrow pointing or whatever. What if I like to play by games muted, huh? Yeah. Well, what, if I'm listen- what if I'm listening to a, a podcast? There's like a visual one. note. There's um, also a visual. You could look around her, but it's hard to see because what, of what all if I'm oblivious? Effects. What if I don't pay attention well, to this? Well, what, what if I blindfold myself, huh? Well, Ryan, you're you're already halfway to being a Final Fantasy 14 player. Then. <laughs> well, there's, there's some other indicator. I don't know how players can play certain mechanics colorblind, though. It'll be it's. Mm. Like, um, uh, there, I do think it's actually kind of interesting, though. Like, if you're uh, talking so, about the one mechanic in EX2, there's definitely a slight, di- slightly different shape to the um, indicator when she's uh, changing her weapon. Yeah, and you can but, also even outright see the weapons in her ha- in her arms. So basically, it's a bullet hell disguised as an RPG. You just got to remember the whole pattern and just try to execute it. Without dying, that's all it is. Does it have slow down? Oh, yeah. Or, or that now, what's your character's name again? I'm gonna check something. Uh, Celis Terrace. How do you spell that? I'm gonna type it in the voice chat because I am very bad at spelling. Is he gonna do like a gear lookup or something to see like if you're outfitted properly? He's gonna go check uh, if he lives in Oceania. Oh, <laughs> on that on that island of Canada. <laughs> you know what's funny is I actually found somebody in Party Finder that lives in the exact same city as me. There you oh. go. Ciao, ciao. What is up with this? Uh-oh. Getting judged already live. Uh, I can't believe you're still wearing gear. a belt. I don't know. No, no, no. Like Ciao, the Parsons. I'm playing a healer, man. Come on. No, 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 no. Like Savage, it's whatever, but the extreme trials, you've cleared both of them. Like almost, well, I'm guessing at least 20 times because not every like kill is going to be uploaded. But it's like your best is 24 percentile. I told you my rotation's bad. That's why I switched to a healer where I could just click one button and I have. Best what rotation. what what is that? 24 percentile of what of the expected output? Uh, bottom bottom 24 percent of uh, players that have cleared the fight. Oh, with that class. Wow, it's okay, challenge. Jesus. I know. It's okay. it's okay. I, 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 knew, I knew I was getting judged. That's why I switched to healer, where I can get top parse by pushing one button because they only have one attack spell. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But I, I clear savage too, so that means I know how to do my mechanics. So you can't complain about my parse. Josh, are you as lost as I? Am? Well, I'm not lost, but I'm just kind of like. Oh, I feel like, like I'm thinking, I, I, I can sort of understand. You know, I get it. Uh, like to get the best rotation or like your damage in Final Fantasy 14, you need to like nail down this memory pattern of doing this combo over and over again. And I haven't really got used to like doing the combo. I always screw it up sometimes. Okay, I, I guess I didn't. I, I didn't uh, get like what was the class you were playing before healer? I was playing a dragoon. Okay, but and, wait, uh, wait a second. You've also got, you've also got queers as a summoner, and we both know that rotation's dumb easy. Oh, I was only using it for the first hour, so I didn't even practice it. I just used it straight up in Zodiac. Oh crap! I swallowed. <laughs> Can someone delete that, please? 
What am I yeah. deleting? Look, All right, I'm, look, I'm, 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 okay. No, no, the, the, the deleting, I guess, is a uh, record as a summoner. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, no, no, I used it in the first hour of testing it, and that was it. I just tested in the battle itself, first trial. Didn't even, uh, didn't even. Jay's are just like, oh, man, Chow's never getting to my party. Thank God. I like, I like how everything you do, like you, you try to stretch out and play one new class, but there's like this permanent record. Like, I can't believe you played yeah. Gunbreaker. Well, there is option. This there, poorly, is, or whatever. there is an option to delete your parse on the internet where it says like <laughs> to prevent people from viewing it. But I, I, I am happy with my healing parse in, yeah. in Savage 2 and and Savage won, even though I yeah, died. Honestly, yeah. yeah, like your damage is a green parse, but you're a healer, so it doesn't matter as much. And your healing parse is blue, almost purple, and you don't have too much overhealing. So it's like, yeah, you, like as a healer, you're doing fine. I'm you're assuming fine blue and purple are good. And yeah, green is blue okay. is uh, 50% <laughs> to 75% uh, percentile. So a high blue parse is above average. Well, the best, the bad thing about the discussing this uh, on the podcast is bro, this is all permanent record now. No matter if you delete that parse as a summoner, there's a, a, an audio record here that confirmed that it existed at one point. I, yeah. I believe in uh, Chow's ability to become a purple parse as DPS and not healer. Just, just Dang. Every time. Wow. Every time. Every, everyone is a, is a great parse once. Everyone's uh, a great parse once. So James is really pulling out the philosophy of like, treat them mean and keep them keen over here with Chow or whatever. Like, Chow, how, on, how, how dare you be in the 24th percentile, but I do believe in you or whatever. Come on, man. I was rejected from my FC to be their healer. They told me that I never healed Savage Raid before, and I was uninvited. Did I clear it before oh. they did? See, this, these are just more reasons why, why you and I will never get into it, Brian. Or just like, well, you know what? The, the best of the best parts is having no parse. Yeah. We can't uh, uh, there, is, there is some drama in this scene because apparently in the was it in the FF logs they're trying to cut out this ad phase in the in the third fight because apparently now everyone's trying to flex their damage by doing no damage to the ads and trying to get max damage into the boss so they can flex <laughs> the highest damage numbers. That is so funny. But wait a second, that's absolutely dumb because literally every other fight on FF logs, like damage to ads are counted in the calculation yeah but apparently they're trying to change the numbers where the ads are being removed or something like they have do pull. that for every encounter or don't or don't do that at all like well, actually, uh, do it this actually reminds me of a, a conversation that i had in uh like i keep i keep going back to guilds for guild wars 2 because that's one i play where people say like you can't count multi-target dps you have to count only single target dps it's like well the ads gotta die like they, they've gotta die too <laughs> or whatever I know just not, I know it's not quite an even playing field because certain classes probably have better, you know, suitability for doing AoE damage versus single target damage. So I, I get it. Or at least I think I get it. If you don't have the, the highest reason, then you're, you're, you should uninstall the game, honestly. Yeah, the, re the real reason why people don't want the ads to count is because then they have to use their burst phase during ads, and that doesn't feel good. So oh. they'd rather just ignore the ads and basically burn them down without burst, which most of the time isn't a problem, and then just be, yeah. Can you believe it? Just one site trying to ruin everything by flexing their damage. Just, no, you know. it's, it's, it's a tool for improvement. That's what it is. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but if you are really into playing FF14, it is recommended to use a log 
and look at FF14 analysis. There's a site yeah. called FF14 I, analysis, and it'll tell you how you fuck up your combo. Yeah, I don't use Acts myself, but if my stuff gets uploaded, I'll look at the uh, analysis and see what it has to say. Though, uh, feel it seems like I am good to go with tanks. But yeah, I switched to healer because I look at my damage and I was like, mm, I'm not confident about this. I got I got to switch to something else. Have you two been uh, playing anything else in January, uh, James? Uh, well, I'll nope. tell you why I'm late today. I like Stay how up. he specifically called James. Okay, ciao. Go ciao. I nice. stayed up very late last night to do the dumbest move ever. I stayed uh -huh. up till 7 a.m. to play Grand Blue Guilt Wars. Oh, oh God, I forgot that was going on. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. What? I don't understand, dude. Why do people still do that? It's just it is. It's part of the game. Oh my god! But I don't know. Uh, we can talk about Endwalker more about the plot as well, since we never got into talking about the plot very deeply last time. We can talk about the pacing of the story, uh, the structure of the story, things that James can go over with me. Okay, I'm I'm okay doing that. Uh, so I will make a note here that we will be talking at least briefly, about the plot of Endwalker at this point. So I, I anticipate that you two will be careful about obviously revealing stuff that, you know, is more suited to come across as like a surprise, but just letting people know that we will be talking plot threads at this point. Yeah, because when Endwalker released, obviously, we wanted to give like a grace period before we really get into this. Uh, and I know that we talked maybe a little bit when James gave his review, but even then, I know that you kind of held back talking about some details of this plot uh so i guess i'll just hand it off to you uh endwalker obviously you say that it's a of you know a very appropriate conclusion to this story arc in final fantasy 14 weren't expecting it to to follow up on Shadowbringers the way that it did we were expecting a step uh you know a step down but that never even happened uh i guess just tell us about like your your experience with endwalker on a narrative front in terms of the main story for me personally, I don't think I connected like the most about it. It has a whole lot of theme of what's that word? Nethillism? It's about death and despair sort of thing. But I don't know. I hate comparing with like different games a lot, but I find that Endwalker has a very similar story to to a 3DS game I played before, which is called Stella Glow. If anyone played that. I, I played a bit of it. And well, and I know the plot, and I honestly don't know where the hell you're coming from. Because in the end of the game, they find like this AI that's in the moon that is trying to cause civilization with negative emotions, where they start to kill themselves. You know, it's like kind of like the same idea with with like uh, was it like the big bad in in Endwalker, where where they're trying to was it they're trying to spread their negative energy and it causes the end of days right I, I find like this kind of like, really similar and at the end it's like when you finally stop the evil it's like yeah i'm gonna do my song of redemption you know it's like it has a very similar story tone you know that is kind of an interesting thing to think about in general where just if you like happen to have played what is it stella go stella glow like some like 3ds game Released yeah. in, I'm I'm looking up Stella Glow right now. Like I've never heard of this. Like I'm like just imagining, 
having a, such a different experience where like someone is like, oh, this reminds me of this uh, obscure game I played once where someone else obviously just thinks it's a completely novel. Like, And the final just, boss, the Stella Glow is in the moon. I'll tell you that. But obviously the place in Endwalker is a whole different location. But, <laughs> you know, it, I just find too many similarities that I just feel like I played this game before, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you on that. The, 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 there's been definitely games that I've played that like, people are like, yeah, this is good. I'm like, yeah, this is just this, like this other game. That I just happen to have played like randomly. Yeah, any yeah. Other, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a game that like five people played, but like, you know, here we are. <laughs> well, I'd rather, ha- I'd rather have that where it just happens to be eerily, probably arbitrarily similar to like one specific other title rather than like, if I have to play another game that has like Reset the World, Eternal Recurrence, Reaper, mass effect thing like that that theme again like they have to do something really creative for, for me to like bite onto that you know bait again just because i feel like so many rpgs go into that that sort of uh, narrative loop there's also like there's also the other one thing that bothers me about endwalker is the stakes uh nobody really died <laughs> I, I i know it's kind of like i'm just talking about like main character wise for for a story that's very heavy and despair uh no one really died so i'm not really think that's a good thing i feel like there needs to be a little bit more stakes in the storyline i know they're kind of like don't want to kill anyone off since like shallow bringers so you you just kind of feel like main characters have plot armor that sort of thing yeah they do but i know they kind of give it good reason why they can't really die but i just feel like man it's kind of like if no one really dies like where's the stakes in this you know like before I'm, the game I'm, came out, everyone's always yeah. Already it's, not, it's, not, yeah it's not even just like stakes as in like like good stakes to me are like not even just like the threat of dying, but also the threat of like permanent damage to you. Like you've like lost like a limb or lost like an eye or something that like well is life changing to you. So so and so will never fight again or whatever. Yeah, so like so, something to that to that in that respect. Like it, it, I I get you, Chow, and I, I agree with you that like. If I'm experiencing a story that like it really amps up the sixth and there's like the final stretch, you know, like there has to be something that like there's a threat to your well being and hopefully that happens, you know, because if well, it's I... if it's if it's done in a way like uh, Chow, you'll understand me like this. Like remember like the Gundam Seed Destiny? It was like it's like, all right, here comes like the, 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 the final battle, and like it's the fucking main character just like doing a perfect victory sweep. No one was damaged, not even a scratch on them. Two thumbs up. Good to go. It's like what the, <laughs> fuck, was, like, what the fuck was this all, all this for <laughs> uh, I don't envy story writers for video games or in general because I I think like saying, Oh, we, we want to make sure this is serious, so let's just kill someone off. Uh, but at the same time, it's like we don't want to like what if I have future stories that I wanna like with this character i don't want to kill them off so uh, balancing like trying to make some real tension versus like cheap drama or melodrama by saying like i guess we're we're no longer telling stories about this character so let's just ask them to show that the big bad is actually you know a big bad or, or whatever so actually like being able to craft a story that brings that sort of drama and doesn't fall too far on either side of feeling like there's too much plot armor or there's too much you know just needless death uh it's a hard balance I, I, I those guys have a hard job to, to write those stories. Yeah, so I, I I can definitely see where Charles is coming from, and I think that the, if if I were in his shoes or like if I were playing through this expansion, I probably would carry a similar sentiment of like, you know, I I, I kind of wish that like stakes not really felt like you know they existed there. 
James is pretty pretty quiet. I, I want to hear his take as well. Honestly, well, I mean, my take is my review. <laughs> um, Sum- of, summarize it in one sentence to... or two sentences. Um, and if you say that you just you don't really want to say more because you think it's better experience, that's perfectly valid too. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So if you want if you want to truly understand and evaluate the story of Endwalker, you just uh, just got to play up to it and through it. That's all. That's all we ask. Were there any other games that we wanted to talk about that we've been poking at in January before we go into uh, a big list of trailers that have released in the last couple of weeks? Uh, we got new DLC characters for Melty Blood. Oh, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't touched them yet. I mean, they're not really RPGs, but did have you touched them yet? Uh, I played them for like two minutes. They're free, but I am still not going back to the game yet. Yeah, I the, I feel like it's it's one of those tragic things that like there was a lot of anticipation for the game, and then like this this game has like totally petered out. Like I feel like it's not it's not quote unquote dead. Like there are still like players, but it, like the user base is so super down. Like I, I, numbers wise, numbers wise, I don't know about like the sentiment like people have, but it's just one of those like the game's popularity has like fallen off a cliff. Like uh, uh, I, I just feel like we just go back to it just because we played it and we should discuss about this in this podcast before, and it just recently came up. But yeah, I, I went over and tried it. I just don't know. I feel like the game died because of its gameplay system. I agree. It, like, I, I, th- I think I think the the story about that, like the the a lot of the talk about that game with the people that I like I know that play it. Like say yeah, we're waiting. Like you know, we're looking forward to the next version of this. You know, which is probably going to happen because that's you know the developer Frenchbed is known for like you know refining systems in a later like you know update like like a sequel to that game. Like it happened with, like under Night in Birth, where like the first version of that game in Japanese arcades is like a nightmare, um, and it got refined over time. But and the same thing happened with like the original Melty Blood series. But yeah, like I I just it's one of those games that. Like when I play like Type Lumina, I'm like I could just go play Actress again instead and have a better time because the the way that the systems are implemented right now are just they just don't really appeal to me and like I I don't like I will only probably play if like if I have a friend asks me to play I'm like all right I'm just down the clown for a little yeah, bit basically a, a new game as an outsider to fighting games are the ones that we somehow managed to always talk about on this podcast my experience is that. Uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus fell off really quick. What was that RGG Studio or Sega Fighter that you played last year? Was that like Virtual Fighter Five yeah, Ultimate? Yeah, yeah. The, that the that felt like it fell off quick. Yeah. Uh, the um the Melty Blood fell fell felt like it fell off quick. The one that seemed like it had lasting power to some extent was the Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah, it still does. Like Guilty Gear Strive is still pretty healthy. Like it it definitely found its crowd and they're sticking with it and they're they're liking it a lot. There, um, there's always some kind of thing that kills a certain game. Uh, Grand Blue Versus killed the game by making it anti-fun. They keep nerfing things, and yet they never, you know, they have a really bad netcode. So you add those two combinations, it's like it's going to be a dead game pretty soon. Yeah, like and, like like Grand Blue is probably like COVID fighting game target number one. Like COVID fucking killed Grand Blue. Uh, yeah. Like any 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 potential to grow as like a game like community like community wise and like. It, it could be a very different story if like COVID didn't happen and Grand Blue would still be probably still be popular. But the way that they've uh, either side games and or arc system works uh, has treated that game over time. 
with the with the way they've uh, balanced the game. Like a lot of like the the fun options in that game, like when it comes to like controlling characters and their like options against like one another, like they've been really diminished over time. So it leads to very a very stale, um, my like a stale flow of gameplay because it's like you've taken out so many fun options of ways to counter uh, different moves for each character that like it just feels super vanilla, super bland and that's not and that's not something you want to see um in a fighting game moving forward like you know as the game goes through like you know numerous balance patches you know there are numerous other problems with that game and i don't know i I, like it's to the point that i don't know if a rollback netcode patch would like save that game at this point or make it popular again like i think it would have to it would have to be a brand new like grand blue fighting game um that has a rollback obviously but also just has the just revamps the fighting game system in a way that like feels fun again and like it, it, it and it have and it ensured like establish that trust with the like the user base that like hey we won't go in this direction again because like you know fixing it or like correcting it is one thing but in like establishing that goodwill moving forward is also crucial because you don't want to like go through it again and be like oh well here comes the next na- here's it comes the next sequel or the next expansion and we don't know if we can trust like you know the, the developers to like do us wrong um you know in a future version of this game but yeah i was yeah. thinking you know it's like when you keep nerfing classes you just lose the will to play it i mean like if you look at final fantasy 14 recent example they're gonna buff every other class to match the latest broken class which is the reaper Right, I agree so bring bring other classes up rather than up drag things bar. down. I think that's what they should have used instead of just nerf everybody. Yeah, I, I usually like that the, the that balancing this uh, like philosophy too. Like I, I can understand like that there are definitely exceptions to the rule, but I, I am definitely more in favor of like, hey, yeah, this uh, this character is super powerful. That like, why don't you just like bump up people to like you know kind of match their level? I I, I do like that philosophy more. And, and uh, like Stri- Strive, in some respects, like handles it like that. Obviously, there are nerfs to some characters, but in general, you know, they they like bumping people up rather than pushing them down severely. Well, we'll go into the news section from there with our uh, our biweekly like tangent into the fighting game world, which I'm 100 percent okay with. Uh, so we're, when we were looking at and scoping out the different news topics, uh, it looks like the main theme for this week is indie games, as I said at the header. Uh, but there is kind of one piece of general industry news that we have listed here at the top. And that is about the, uh, the head, the heading up of platinum games. So we talked about uh, a few different like studio executive changeouts over the last couple of months. Like for instance, uh, Nagoshi leaving RGG to be replaced by Masayoshi Yokoyama. Uh, but for Platinum Games, we learned at, uh, in the end of December that CEO Kenichi Sato had stepped down and a new CEO has been appointed. And that is Asushi Inaba, who was the former vi- vice president, who is now the CEO and also the studio head. So the interesting thing about this, other than obviously just the change out of the executive, was the letter that accompanied uh, Anaba's appointment to CEO. Just this one paragraph. I'm just going to read this and tell me what you think about this. Approaching fun with complete sincerity has always been important to me. I believe that every one of our staff takes pride in the fact that they are entertainers attempting the perfect balance between play and professionalism. I'm like, oh, if only every video game executive valued 
the idea of fun in that way. That's very like refreshing to read in a letter from a from a studio head like that. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. This is a uh, like you know it's, it's your it's your typical corporate like hey passing the torch to like you know uh, new newer younger people like Atsushi Adaba been a really a growing talent inside of Platinum Games over the past years. Um, like his obviously his breakout hit um, was near Automata, um, where he served. Well, you as, say uh, you say obviously, but I didn't know that, so that's cool. That's a cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When they when they um, introduced near Automata, like an announcement, like you know, uh, Inaba's name wasn't really well known at that time, and then it's like only after the fact, you know, uh, after Automata got so much praise that like you know Inaba really went into the limelight uh, with that, and then you know, uh, like his his like his. Uh, project that he like took full like ownership of after Automata was Astral Chain. Uh, so it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how Inaba steers Platinum Games. I you know James and I have like have our we we've we've listed our grievances over Platinum Games multiple times on this podcast. We won't have to repeat them again, but we're really hoping that Platinum like you know under Inaba's leadership that Platinum Games will you know, go in the right direction, like in a way that like they're um they're releasing projects consistently and not having to wait like, you know, because there's always so many weird like things that happen to platinum games and the way like it it feels like every like point of like a game's development, whether it's like in development, publishing a game, distribution of a game, like there are stories of platinum of about each of those levels and where platinum games like screwed up that aspect you know and it could be like for games that like were canceled you know like lost order and um their involvement the uh the grand blue fantasy relink rpg or you know like the distribution of like how the wonderful 101 kickstarter campaign was handled or um just uh just uh, like weird things like that like platinum games has just kind of been like a company that's like where they get involved with other um either developers or publishers and it's like and then something happens to that project like scalebound for example and then you're just like never really sure it's like was that platinum games or the other it's like it's like it's like this weird trend and pattern with platinum games it's weird because it's like they don't have any like one huge major blemish like a ubisoft or an activision but just like these like you just listed off like three things that it's like where they just kind of like fumbled something that they had yeah and so hopefully like you know uh, like with all like the Naba's been there since man, a really long time. Uh and I'm hoping that Inaba like is able to like steer them out of those kinds of like weird hiccups. Uh that that's a I guess that's my hope for uh, Inaba as CEO and he has like, you know he, he, like he has a good head on his shoulders and I hope that reflects uh, in the future uh of the company's decisions. And there, one one other paragraph of his letter does just make clear that they still have the unchanged overarching goal of entering self publishing. Mm-hmm. So and that's something we talked about previously on the podcast. Yeah, because I, I think their ongoing projects right now is obviously Bayonetta three, um, that uh, that shoot 'em up game, um, Soul Cresta, and then the there's like an Ultraman s game that they like announced like a year or two ago i can't remember but it was part of that like whole like platinum four announcement and then i i guess who knows what, what what's ha- how far off that project is but 
you know, there's still there's you know, platinum games like people like really love them for a good reason and hopefully they kind of get back to like that state of mind and that and you know, hopefully hopefully Bayonetta 3 is like really cool. I really want Bayonetta 3 to be awesome. All right, and with that, we'll go into a discussion about indie RPGs. And I think this is kind of a good time for it because you know, there's not a lot of, you know, other other games uh, crowding the space for the attention here. So let's just kind of give, you know, give these games their due and at least give them their shout out. And maybe, you know, there'll be at least, I'm hoping to at least play one or two of these to kind of experience them and see like, if there's something like a diamond in the rough or something that could easily go overlooked that we want to make sure it doesn't happen. So um, a lot of these uh, indie games started on Kickstarter, like in the 2018, 2019 timeframe, but are just now kind of like finding real publishing partners or uh, releasing or or they released last year and they're now getting console ports, which obviously means they have a lot more visibility. So in no real order, we'll just kind of go through these. Uh, the first one that I have listed here arbitrarily is Eternal Radiance. So this game is a game that I am best going to describe based on its trailer as a party East-like. It looks very much like in the vein of like East memories of Celsetta in, in terms of like its visuals and it's at least the combat shown in the trailer. Uh, this game did release on Steam late last year and was also an early access leading up to that. Uh, the announcement here is that it's just now as of like this week also available for PlayStation 4 on and Nintendo Switch. So very clearly trying to like play homage to that Falcom sort of art style and in terms of the combat itself, like the the party-based action RPG. Uh, it, it is developed by Visual Noveler, which I'm guessing based on the name that they don't have a ton of experience making action RPGs. So I don't know the extent that, that this that this might play like a visual novel, but um, it seems interesting enough. And I don't know if, you know, if anyone here has had any experience with the, uh, with the PC port or has even heard of this, but I don't know. I thought it was worth at least a shout out. But it is amusing because I looked at the developer page for Visual Noveler and uh, their track record is funny because in 2016, they released Anime Studio Simulator. Uh, okay. In 2017, they released Rat Simulator. <laughs> Rat Simulator. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding you. It's, 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 and uh, 2018, Ascendant Hearts. So that, 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 that's their track record as far as their Steam development page is. It, it seems... And... Um, Apparently, Ascendant Hearts, it seems to be like either a story about RPGs or is an RPG itself. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah. But at least you know, the developers of Rat Simulator leads to yeah. the East Light. <laughs> Yeah, so I've you know I don't know if I don't know if I'm really that excited about this, but it's just it's just cool to see you know these yeah. little projects and the uh the the Steam page does have a very positive review, so at least it's not you know a train wreck. I look at the trailer for it, and it, the only thing that I like immediately like I don't want to just immediately get super critical of like these passion projects made by very small teams. Uh, so it has a very clean minimalistic UI that almost might look like a placeholder, but you know at least it's not too overwrought. But just kind of an interesting game, and you know wanted to give it a, it's a shout out here here's one that i think is might be inherently more interesting this is a side scroller rpg called infernax which releases uh on february 14th on valentine's day for playstation and xbox consoles and pc it basically looks like what my understanding of pre-ega castlevania is it looks very much like a castlevania or rondo of bloods sort of inspired oh, yeah. game absolutely a and uh, so, again, this isn't a new announcement. It was on Kickstarter years ago. But this is basically the uh, 
announcement from the arcade crew, which is the publisher, the developer is Berserk Studio, uh, saying that it will release on those platforms on Valentine's Day. Yeah, for people who, who, do, uh, who don't know Berserk Studio, they're the developers of Just, Just Shapes and Beats that released back in 2018. And that was a really, really cool game. It's like a kind of like a music bullet hell sort of game. So um, really just see how this, how this there's obviously a big, big genre, genre shift, but this could turn out to be really cool. That is uh, Infernax. Yeah, it, it is interesting because I the only I've only played a handful of Castlevania games, and they've all been like Symphony of the Light, Symphony of the Night, or later. Where this one, when I look at this, it looks like it's really more trying to play homage to the earlier games. Uh, so I don't know if that's just my impression of the trailer or, or actually like the design intent. But very clearly, it's wearing its inspiration on its sleeve. It's yeah. not being uh, it's not being coy about it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely like pre Castlevania, but it seems to have like more RPG mechanics uh, tied to them. It's basically mm-hmm. getting its inspiration from Castlevania too. Yeah, uh, like where it's Simon's Quest. Yeah, I mean, even the font is kind of similar, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one that's maybe a little bit more squarely in the uh, JRPG wheelhouse, and that is Rise of the Third Power. So this is another game that was on Kickstarter. Uh, it was announced formally with a publisher last year. What we have the announcement now is the uh, the release the release date announcement. It is releasing in a similar time frame as Infernax. It's releasing on February 10th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch and PC. So, and this one is basically built in the vein of a 16-bit jrpg where the sprite work looks very reminiscent of you know final fantasy 4 through 6 era playstation 1 titles and i think that this game out of the three that we've listed so far looks the most promising to me it's kind of got a little bit of that hd 2d sort of look where it's stylized with 16-bit graphics but obviously with modern like post-processing sort of techniques that they can like layer on top of it uh, so I think that this looks, uh, if I were to pick any one of the first three games to play, it would be this one. The only thing here that I don't quite gel with is the character art. And I can't really put a good reason on why. It's just that uh, it just, the, it the basically like American I, anime art is that how, how I would say it. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it's not specifically that, but I think like the sprite work and the, the environmental effects and the battle art, you know, animations look really nice. And even like the character portraits at the bottom of the battle screen look nice. But then like you have this still of like, you know, the character speaking in their dialogue bubble. And I almost think it detracts from it. Like, no, like just let the, like, I almost prefer that just, they would just let the sprites do the talking. Maybe I'm just saying here that uh, if Adam were here, he would say sprites are good. <laughs> like they're very pretty. They look very nice. Yeah. I, this this character art is just not needed. I don't think. This, but this I, is, I don't... Uh, Rise of the Third Power is being developed by Stegosoft Games. And then people who uh, played Arafel, those are the same developers. You know, the only reason I know about Arafel is I get this PM from this random stranger nonstop to tell me to write a guide for this game because he <laughs> loves it so much. And because I wrote the Trails of Cold Steel guides, like, it's like you'd be a perfect fit to write a guide for this game. You have to write a guide for it. And I'm like, no, I don't know anything about this game. So we can expect a guide for Rise of the Third Power by Chow. Uh, you heard it here first. Thanks, this game Chow. also has like those. Uh, those like CG stills, like the like the Game Boy Advance era Fire Emblem games have, and those look pretty mm-hmm. nice. It's just the character art; it almost looks like it belongs in a different game. I feel so bad that I'm nitpicking on that one thing, but uh, I'll, I'll guess I'll balance that out by saying like, uh, out of this game looks really interesting, and it's in early February, so I think it'll be a good time for it. 
We'll see. It, it is launching alongside some heavy hitters. February is uh, is a very crowded time. Uh, no matter what genre of fighting game or, or what genre of game you like, it's to, for, uh, February seems to have uh, something for everyone. <laughs> uh, a couple port announcements here for some other indie games. Uh, Shattered Tale of the Forgotten King is it looks like a like a Zelda slash Darksiders like a 3D version 3D Zelda like uh, that released last year on PC. Well, now it has a. Uh, release announcement for consoles early this year it'll be releasing for playstation and xbox consoles and switch in quarter one of 2022 so no specific date uh it did get a pc release last january february and the 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 steam page for this shattered game has mixed recent reviews so i don't know how much stock to put in that it looks interesting enough and i don't think we have enough zelda likes in uh just in general, where it's and it also has kind of like that Hollow Knight sort of vibe to it, but not maybe not much more to say on this, especially since we don't even have a fixed release date other than quarter one. And I didn't even realize that this game came out last year, no, over twelve months ago, or sorry, it released on uh, February seventeenth last year, so not quite twelve months ago, but didn't really make a lot of a splash then. So figure out at least you know, give a shout out to its title now. Uh, the developer here is Redlock Studio, self published. This is their first project, so. Uh, at least t- take a look at the trailer and give it a look. Uh, this next one I can actually speak to a little bit because I've actually played this. Uh, this is a 2D Zelda-like called Ocean's Heart, which launched for PC last year. It's now got a Switch release date of February 10th. It released last year, actually about a year ago, on January 21st. Um, so Ocean's Heart is very clearly like built in the vein of like Minish Cap. That's that kind of era of Zelda. And this game I thought was fun. I thought it was quirky. I thought it had like some really witty and it, it, it wears its humor on its sleeve. And like, for instance, like you'll meet like a carrot farmer and his title card before you know his name will be like guy obsessed with carrots or whatever. Yeah. And then like, if you pick up like materials called like iron pine cone and it'd be like iron pine cone, this is actually pretty heavy, but since it's made of iron, maybe that's not surprising. You know, it's got like that sort of like sort of, it's trying to make you laugh at every uh, every other text box, which maybe right. might you know be not be everyone's cup of tea, but it's that's the sort of tone that it has. And unlike a Zelda game, it has like a character that speaks a lot and has a lot of dialogue and a lot of thoughts. Uh, but it was say that again, yeah, the opposite of Link. Uh, the only thing that I will say is that it was very very short. It was I think it took me like five hours, which might be fine. Maybe if you're looking for like a little five hour Zelda like experience, that'll be you know exactly what you look for. And it's a th- $15 game, so maybe priced appropriately. Uh, I thought it was fun, but maybe unremarkable. It'll be coming out uh, on Switch, on also on February 10th. So the uh, the same day as Rise of the Third Power. I don't know. It looks like Minish Cap kind of influenced to me. Just like, no, that's what like, I said. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just heard Zelda. I'm, just, well, like, no, well, 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 I'm glad that we came to the same, uh, the same observation, though. That just that kind of validates my initial one. And the, the last one here is uh, Mercenaries Rebirth, Call of the Wild Links. So this is another kind of Japanese SRPG tactics-like game releasing for PlayStation 4. Uh, it's actually now available for PlayStation 4. Uh, it was originally released on PC last year in November. Or sorry, not PC, Switch. Switch next last year in November. Um, the reason why I brought this up is for kind of two reasons. Is like, one... There have been a ton of these like mercenaries games 
like Mercenaries Chronicles, Mercenaries Wings or Revenants. I don't even remember all the titles. I do know that a couple of years ago we had Elizabeth on staff that reviewed like the first three games of this series. And I mean, we had a conversation just like last week or the week before or last or last year where we talked about like the reason why we're so interested in games like Triangle Strategy is because we don't get a lot of these style of games. And then I'm looking at this like, what about these guys? How can we just ignore these? Is it just because they're just like churned out and no good word of mouth for these it feels a little bit unfair and especially when this is like the sixth game in the series if people it if that, sounds people like just... you're signing up to play all of these then Get nah. them first. this is the year what just, I... just like just like yakuza go through the mercenaries saga Ryan. uh so maybe i will play triangle strategy and then if i'm really really itching for more <laughs> or or i'll just wait until the inevitable leaked Final Fantasy Tactics remaster finally revealed itself. Then I'll just play that again. But I uh, still at least want to give it a shout out. If you've been playing the Mercenaries tactical games, there's a new one coming out uh, for PlayStation 4. It was released on Switch last year. What if they trolled the fan base and you get Final Fantasy Advance Collection? Or Final Fantasy Tactics Advance Collection? I like yeah. Tactics Advance, so I would I would still be thrilled with that. So, And I've only played a Tactics Advance 2 once. So if I could conveniently play that game through again, uh, I would totally be on board for that. I just know that the looking at the bullet points of this Mercenaries Rebirth game is they have a, a feature called Rebirth Exceed. And I don't know what the fuck that means, but I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so not to leave people hanging, I'm going to just read this out and see if this makes any sense without any context. The gauge in the upper right corner of the screen builds up any time the player attacks and defends during battle. Store up enough power to activate a particular skill called Rebirth Exceed! Each character has unique talents, including dealing godly damage to enemies and reviving fallen allies. That's just an overdrive or a limit break. Only now it's a Rebirth Exceed. Like the better way I didn't know what it was. What it, what yeah, it, said. it was better when there was intrigue and stuff. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Chow is writing in the text here that I should be the title Rebirth Exceed. Sure, why not? Of the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that was basically a, an indie game rundown. I was looking at all the trailers that had released. Uh, so, a lot of these port announcements, release date announcements, were accompanied by trailers, uh, not all of them. And I just kind of decided to put these indie game trailers up first ahead of what we're going to go into next, which is like the more um, the stuff that we've been talking about previously and all the all the upcoming games we have discussed on this podcast before uh, at least once. So at least just wanted to put all these titles up in front and give them their chance to uh, be heard and seen. So here's one that we kind of talked about briefly at the start here as kind of like one of the major january releases that we are looking forward to at least some of us or maybe being optimistic about and that is pokemon legends arceus uh they released a new basically 13 minute gameplay preview 101 trailer about exactly what this game is how it plays what to expect how it's different from other pokemon games and it's uh i think it is very like if you're not if you're on the fence for this game and you're not sure if it's something that you're intrigued by, I do think that this trailer really does kind of make the decision about, nah, it's not something I'm interested in, or yeah, I want to try it. Uh, I don't know if it sells the concept that well, but it is very clear. It's very informative. I watched the whole thing. But I know I normally don't watch very long trailers, but this one I actually did. Uh, and I, like I said earlier, I have not played a Pokemon game since Sinnoh, just due to kind of feeling a little bit worn out of the formula. And uh, this looks like something that shakes it up enough that I'm, I'm eager to try it. I'm definitely going to be uh, grabbing this game when it releases on January 28th. Yeah, I, I watched that trailer too, and I'm, I'm still like, I get it, but I'm just like, 
Is that something that I would like? Maybe maybe I need you to tell me, Brian, if I like this game. Brian, why I like this game? Well, it does seem <laughs> to have some... Uh, obviously, the comparisons have been dr- drilled down to death about Breath of the Wild. So, oh, yeah. and, and people are going to either say that you're stupid for making that comparison or it's obvious because that's obviously what they're going for. There seems to be no middle ground. <laughs> but uh, I, actually, I actually do think that very slightly... This is going to sound silly, but I hope I can substantiate this. It does slightly have some Monster Hunter vibes. Uh, not Obviously not in terms of combat, but in terms of like there's a very centralized hub in Jubilife Village where you will undertake like requests where someone says, I want you to get me a Shinx because I want to see like the pattern on its ear. Or I want you to get a Weasel because I want to see like what what how what sizes they can come in like how how what what is the size range of what weasels can be found at and sort sort of things like that and then also like picking up items out of trees or out of lakes and crafting potions or pokeballs or things like that like how you might craft mega potions with honey and herbs and monster hunter or whatever so uh just there are some very light things like that which breath of the wild didn't really have that i guess it did have like a small smattering of quests but uh, it seems like they those sorts of requests I think the the one mechanic that I like uh, that really like sticks out to me is the agile style, strong style. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Stuff in the, the turn base because like how they differentiate is like if you like you know when you're picking a Pokemon move, you can uh, use it as agile style, strong style, and then uh, if you pick a move and it's agile style, it'll do less damage, but you'll get your next turn faster. So there's a possibility that you can get your like another attack in um, before the Pokemon uh, the enemy does. Uh, and then if you do the strong style, obviously that move will hit harder. But there's a possibility that like the uh, opponent can like hit you multiple times till you get your next move because you you sacrifice you know a lot of speed uh, to do that move. Uh, so uh, like how they mix it up, for example, is like do like a an agile style attack and then get your next move, and then if you can ensure a kill, do a strong style move. So yeah, but basically, uh, if you get the first turn. If you do agile then strong, you might get two turns before the enemy gets one into like do a, a two hit sweep or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so that that seems uh, like a, a really cool, and uh, hopefully, like the, the the game leans into that a lot of like you know tougher fights of like, hey, you really have to think about how you want to manage your styles for this fight, and how you want to like basically um, plan for like a burst DPS phase almost, <laughs> which is a really funny thing to think about in a Pokemon game. Uh, but I, I think that's like the, the, the one cool thing that like uh, sticks out to me the, the exploration stuff is like I I hope it, it's one of those weird things because like the world and the trailers that they've shown so far like the it feels barren still like unlike it Shin Megami Tensei 5 like, like when you explore zones they're just shitload of demons as you're like running through them and kind of have like they exist in their own biomes well on this one it feels there's still like a lot of like empty land um in between like any points of interest so that kind of concerns me a little yeah and uh the i think the gameplay systems with like sending out pokemon to retrieve materials out of trees or out of rocks or to just simply battle i think those gameplay systems look fine however there's one system that i'm not sure that it's selling very well like selling to me like in terms of like advertising itself to me and that is the noble pokemon which seems like to be like the main climax points of this game like the boss fight so and so so noble pokemon are like pokemon that you have to like calm down because they're in like a some weird like 
intrinsic rage and you have to like throw items at them to try to like like i think they call it a forest bomb like the one they show is the cleavor which is the new like scyther variant that has axes for arms and i guess the way that they work is that you can't battle them on a turn-based battle right away you literally have to run around as your trainer avoiding their attacks while throwing bombs at them to like to poke away at a meter and it's trying to make it like this pokemon action game sort of thing and it just looks if you watch it has a section of it in this gameplay overview trailer and it just doesn't look fun or engaging it's like the, the <laughs> players like backpedaling while throwing these bombs at this cleavor while dodging attacks and then eventually you get into a turn-based battle with it anyway and it's like it just that was the one part of the trailer where i'm like i don't know if this looks fun and if this is going to be like the major the major kind of objective of the game then yeah you know, Brian, a, a game has previously tried this where they you engage fights in an action, uh, uh, fight, like RPG fight first, and then you can switch into a turn-based right away after a certain point. Very fluidly, it works. And it's called Kuro no Kiseki. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, like, is he referring to Kuro no Kiseki? I, I want to blurt that out, but I don't, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's. I thought that all the stuff about like the 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 way that the hub works, the way that the task works, the way that the exploration works, that looks pretty fun. I don't know how old it would get though, or how much is packed. Oh, yeah, another mon- yeah, another Monster Hunter thing that uh, that reminded me of it is like you have like a research level of um, each of the Pokemon you experience in the wild, like what their habitat is, what their favorite food is, things like that. And as you like fill in, like the Pokedex isn't just what you've caught or what you've seen and what you've caught it has a little bit more detail to it which kind of reminds me of the the way the i've only played world and a little bit of rise but the with the way that the monster journal worked in um monster Hunter world where you, where you learn like what their weaknesses are what elements they're weak to and things like that only here it's more like what food can you can you craft to to bait them out or to or to help catch them or things like that so that that well, also reminded me of the well, monster. Well, you have to raise your research level for new cooler Pokemon to pop out and take take their picture as well. Uh, I know what you're referring to. I'm just not too. I'm not witty enough to to like. You served me a joke and I can't land it. I'm sorry, but uh, it's it'll be interesting to see like how it plays with these different like. Obviously, the main battle mechanics are still turn based, but even in that respect, they've adjusted it with the strong style, agile style stuff. And then seeing how kind of like these secondary progression sort of mechanics work with filling out your Pokedex, getting research points. Uh, you get like the new traversal moves, like we're on the Weirdeer or the the Basket Legion swimming and things like that. So I wonder if it'll feel Zelda-like in that way, where it's like, aha, finally I can ride, you know, over the water and catch the Gyarados that I've been seeing for the last two hours or, or whatever, or something like that. So I wonder how rewarding that'll feel. Those are the sorts of things that are hard to sell in a trailer and you just kind of have to experience it. I feel I feel like when we're, 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 we're talking about like the the unappealing part of this game, like uh, throwing the things to like uh, make Pokemon calm down for a turn based battle. Like I kind I kind of wish they had a like obviously we don't know like what the game has, but it kind of made like the the picture in my mind when I was thinking like how would you improve that's like some sort of like extreme sports acrobatic thing of like you're, you're, you're like you're, like jumping into the air and like trying to dodge attacks as you're throwing Pokemon. Or not pokeballs or whatever items added after you dodge an attack. It's like an instant like dodge into like an airborne bullet time thing. I'm imagining it's like maybe maybe that's how you make that fun. <laughs> I don't oh, know. By the, the one last thing I want to say about this trailer that I thought was interesting is that like if a wild Pokemon attacks the trainer, not the not losing in a Pokemon battle, but the trainer, like the trainer can black out 
And if you do, you like lose some of the items that you had, which doesn't seem like it's that big a penalty, but it feels like a pretty decent penalty for a Pokemon game. Like what if you just collected like a bunch of rare, I don't know, seeds or whatever, and then you and then you end up getting, you know, blacked out and you and you drop all of them. I don't know if you can retrieve them or I don't know exactly how the penalty works, but just just the fact that it's there at all is like, oh, that's a little bit more uh more serious yeah, than I was uh, expecting. I got you losing your master ball. <laughs> I can already imagine all the crying kids. Oh no! But yeah, so uh, it'll be interesting. I'm sad they didn't go the the whole the whole nine yards or whatever. I, I'm sad they didn't just like it's. They should have just killed the trainer. Why blacking out? No, the the Pokemon would fucking kill the person. Right? <laughs> it yeah. just it just it just generates like with because obviously there's customization like uh, options as well for like clothing and hairstyle and color or whatever. It just generates a new trainer. And you just—it's like a rogue like now, yep. <laughs> and you just—it's you mean... like, like like let it die. It's just like the next you know trainer in line in the machine deploys. It's like all right, new trainer. <laughs> I mean, watching a Pokemon anime, we know that Ash is pretty tanky as hell. He's been electrocuted like hundreds and thousands of times. Yeah. He's been stoned. Oh, <laughs> 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 so I'm, I'm sure this Pokemon trainer will be fine from all kinds of damages. <laughs> Uh, there is another game releasing in January that uh, I think has kind of gone under the radar on our website because it's a PC game, uh, and that is Expeditions Rome. So this is a, a turn-based tactical RPG being developed by Logic Artists that is releasing on the 20th. And uh, we got a bunch of character trailers here because it's a it's a party-based, turn-based tactical RPG. Uh, unfortunately, these character trailers, they're just basically like 40-second snippets of these five characters just kind of giving a brief outline of who they are and like what their motivation is. Like uh, one is basically like a, a soldier veteran veteran. One is a gladiator. Uh, one is basically a, a spy who is kind of like a Mulan type where she's a woman that has disguised herself as a male so that she can fight without, you know, suspicion, things like that. Uh, the characters themselves, I'm not even going to go over their names because I don't think they're that interesting. This just kind of reminded, I saw this in our news queue, and I just reminded myself, okay, this is releasing a week before Pokemon. It's releasing in January. I'm kind of just poking at random games in this month anyways, just to try to like finish out things that are in my backlog or things like that. So uh, when Expeditions Rome releases in a little over, or sorry, a little under a week, uh, I might try this out and actually like reach out of my comfort zone and report back on the next podcast or the podcast after and see what I think. Yeah, this looks like an isometric RPG, like hexagon-based movement for the grids, from what I can tell from the trailers. Right, and it, it looks very much kind of like the... Uh, I mean, there's only so many ways you can do turn-based styles, but yeah. what it reminds me most of is the Divinity games in terms of the... I'm looking at the trailers about like how the skill tooltips work and how they're assigned to specific characters and things like that. Uh, so that, that's... And I obviously really adore the Divinity games. So even though I don't know if I enjoy the setting of ancient rome that much maybe i i don't want to have like that preconception going in so yeah. figure i'll try it oh also the another thing that reminded me of like the divinity games is that uh at least divinity original sin 2 is that it looks like there's like an armor health system where there's like two bars that you have to break through in order to, to fight enemies you'll have different moves that are better at piercing armor and then moves that are bit better at dealing direct damage to health which is always yeah. kind of a, a cool little there's there's a lot of ways you can have fun with that system mechanically yeah but uh, here's another Western game that got a, a combat trailer. Uh, we talked about this briefly, uh, I think, last week because we were talking about where are the Western RPGs. Uh, Elex 2. So Elex 2 is releasing uh, on the 1st of March. And its first couple looks in terms of its announced trailer 
and a story trailer weren't that good. Uh, I wasn't too enamored by them. Uh, it got a combat trailer now, that, uh, just on the 12th of January, and it's better, but still it took it in a direction that I don't... When I see the word combat trailer, I kind of want to see the game, regardless of the game, JRPG, Western RPG, non-RPG, how does the game play? Like, I just kind of almost just like want raw gameplay, maybe with voiceover or something like that. Like, I want to see the UI. I want to see the inputs being selected. When I see a combat trailer, that's, but this is not that. This is basically just trying to make the combat as cinematic as possible. And I don't think the animations are up to par to really sell that. It looks stiff. It looks like they just have like a camera, like a free camera tool that they're just trying to like get all the neat angles or whatever. And it's it's fine. It's just kind of like not what I wanted in terms of this trailer. Um, I think I think the 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 part of the trailer where like I it, it makes me really smile is like when you're on the jetpack and trying to do like a like a hammer swing or melee swing uh, in midair with the jetpack. It looks really uh, funny. Yeah, it, it looks stiff. It doesn't look. It, yeah. And I know the the first game also had a a jetpack system, but yeah. I think it was mostly entirely used for traversal, and you could like shoot while while hovering or whatever. But not, I don't remember trying melee. I do remember in the first game it had a a pretty standard stamina system, like so many games have. But I remember that uh, it felt like there was there was options in the in the settings menu of Elex one where you can make it where certain attacks took no stamina, which feels almost like cheating. But I remember actually turning that on because I felt like I was constantly like huffing and puffing and couldn't like swing or couldn't sprint or dash or dodge because I was just constantly out of stamina, which might be like, hey, you know, get good at the game and, you know, maybe you won't you'll learn to learn to manage your resources better. But I think just other stuff about the combat of Elex one. I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. Just turn down the, 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 the difficulty knobs just to give me more stamina. So I don't want to, you know, so I can be a little bit more freeform about this because Elex one strength was in its quest design and, and a little bit of storytelling, more the quest design, and not in its combat. So I won't be surprised if Elex 2, the combat is just kind of just to get you from quest to quest or area to area and isn't really the high point of the game. But we got a combat trailer, and it's it's a thing. Uh, here's a trailer that maybe Josh can speak to a little bit. Uh, very similar to the Pokemon Arceus trailer, which is like a long kind of game 101 about exactly what the game is. We got a similar one for the soon-to-be-localized Lost Ark MMORPG. So Lost Ark has uh, been out in Asia and what, Russia for a while now, and now it's just getting its uh, its Western release in America and Europe uh, in February 11th. And basically, I knew that this game obviously was an isometric MMORPG with a very kind of classic high high Western fantasy sort of aesthetic. But this trailer was still kind of nice to watch through to talk about like how the class system works, how there's only five classes, but you can specialize above to, I think they call them elite classes or specialization classes, which I think is a really cool system to have kind of like these basic archetypes, but then you specialize like your weapon type or your specific role from there. Yeah, they're, they're just launch classes too. Like there'll be like some classes that were released in other regions that are not like going to be at, there at launch for uh, the American Western or the Western global release. So mm -hmm. like... Uh, there's a few, I, I think I think I don't know if like summoner is their own release like and they replaced summoner with sorceress for some reason I think that was the thing um but yeah it's it's probably the best trailer of lost ark that they've given yet because they actually just like give you a rundown of like what you do in the game with like real time footage 
you know, and the, like you and Adam uh, mentioned, like, oh, you can customize ships in this game. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I don't know why. So like, I this game has kind of been on the periphery of my vision in turn because I just see Adam cover it and I see us post the trailers or whatever to you or to Twitter, uh, and then I, somehow I'd completely missed. Like I'm watching this uh, Welcome to Arkesia trailer. And there's a whole section on like shipbuilding and seafaring, and like I did not know that this that Lost Ark had a focus on that. I'm like, oh, that's yeah, neat. yeah and it shows like, like that's a lot of like the PVE of the game. Like, uh, like there's like there's like a lot of like crazy side activities you can do in, in the game, and like uh, so one of them is like uh, seafaring, where like you're exploring like different islands, and like some of like the and like there'll be like side quest stories in those islands that can like dramatically shift like like the the way the game is presented. So like. Uh, one example is like you visit an island and it's like kind of like a horror theme and like you kind of go through like this dungeon or mansion area much like resident evil and it takes on like a horror tone uh so it's like it's really cool like they uh, like they can switch it up uh through like, you know using that design and it shows some of the ui of like the the shipbuilding and the crew kind of establishment and it's like looks really intricate where it's like ship grade grade one base sailing speed fast sailing recovery speed or, or it, like it looks like really like true rpg mechanics here and like establishing like well, who helms your ship or uh, whether it's good in hazardous water or, or things like that and like and it also shows like multiple ships like i don't know if you can have a fleet or if that was supposed to be indica- indicative of multiple players but just it's just like like a whole game within a game almost is my impression from the uh the trailer here the uh the last yeah. thing that this uh overview it went it went through some stuff that is a little bit more expected like uh exploration dungeons raids uh skill trees and things like that but it also has a pretty long section in the trailer about pvp and it feels like pvp in a lot of mmos is kind of like an afterthought or it's kind of just put in just as like a almost like a side game where here it looks like it's a really uh so that you might go into this game with the idea of I'm going to be a PvP player only because that's what I'm interested in and that's what I want. And it looks like it's got all the systems in place with the intent to allow that. So yeah, I thought that was just kind of a people, cool thing to call out. Yeah, like Lost Ark has like a pretty like big competitive scene like uh, over like in uh, Asia and Russia. And like the, the PvP, like like one of the most interesting like modes in PvP is like the 3v3 mode. So you have to like have like a a pretty solid party composition and kind of know your roles it like because it's just like a it's like a like a, a small arena that you're fighting in it's not like a big big place that you're uh trying to traverse to to the other side um so it's very focused and you, you have to think about you know how you want to spec out your character it's the type of pvp in an mmo where you don't have to like wait to like get get levels and get skills for the pvp when you unlock like the pvp early on like everything is available to you from the get go from there on. Like you, your all your gear is kind of standardized uh, for the PvP mode, and all the skills are unlocked. And you kind of tinker with how you want to build your character and their skills and sort of. Oh, that um, that might be a cool way to like learn the class. Like uh, obviously, I don't know exactly how the setup works, but let's say like I'm interested in playing. Uh, an assassin but i don't know like how it feels at max level or with all the skills unlocked so uh, instead of progressing through like slowly unlocking those maybe i'll just try it out in some pvp matches and i'll have yeah, all the tools yeah. available available to me and i can just see how it feels obviously fighting players in pvp might feel different than fi- fighting a dungeon boss or a raid encounter but at least get a feel for the skill it just, it just seems like just another tool or it's just like all right I'll, I'll play in this way and see how it's like and that way i don't have to invent if i decide oh this i really don't like how this feels i don't have to i can try something else for my story character or something like that yeah that's a good point yeah so I'm I'm really looking forward to this. It, it it looks really fun. Like I said, like my my friends have been would not, will not shut up about this game. So I'm like, all right, all right. 
um i'll give it a shot so i'm yeah i'm just waiting just waiting for it it's, it's you've already you, you basically you're already invested like you've, you're you've pre-ordered right well my, my fr- a friend of mine pre-ordered the game for me so oh, yes. right. <laughs> like that like it's it's free to play so like you know you well, don't have to true. like get any money but like you know just founders packs and you know the, uh, you get it's all a little bit of goodies that don't really affect you know too much so um, can, isn't in the was it in the housing system people can design their own mini games and stuff I, like probably i didn't look too much into it but if, you, if you've heard that it's probably true this game has a lot of things going for it man i'm pretty excited about it yeah dude let's let's play let's play i went to the steam page of lost ark to see like how because sometimes you go to like eso elder scrolls online uh steam page and they're just like inundated with like all the microtransaction and things like that and it almost like kind of puts like a you like a slimy feel on the game but uh lost ark it just has basically four tiers bronze silver gold platinum so like all right that's pretty clean it's not it's not inundated with like microtransactions or like in-game currency like even if you go to like the fantasy star online to steam page it's full of like different currency amounts that you can purchase and things like that where lost ark at least as, as of right now doesn't have any of that just just the yeah, different yeah, founders for, uh... packs yeah, from what I understand, it's very free to play friendly. Like, if you want, if you don't want to like feel like you know get get pressured to like spend on the game, like this is a fairly, from what I understand, it's a pretty friendly game to just like go at your own pace and experience it without having to like commit any sort of like cash to it. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I just want to have a good time, and like you won't be like like hampered in a significant way for doing that. Uh, we do have one delay to announce. And that is for another tactical RPG, King Arthur Knight's Tale. So the, I remember we talked about this game where how it's an interesting aesthetic where it's like a grim, dark take on the story of King Arthur. But not only that, but fashioned into a strategy RPG of all things. Uh, it's already out in early access on PC, January 12th. So as of as of a couple of days ago, but it was, it was a, originally targeting a February 15th release date out of early access. Um, that's been pushed back to March 29th. So this is another game kind of like Expeditions Rome, where it's like, I want to try to stretch out a bit and play more of these types of games. Because I remember kind of like laughing about, it's almost kind of like that Lies of P game, where it's like they took the story of, in in that case, it's Pinocchio. In this case, it's King Arthur and making it like super grim, dark and edgy. Where I, I my initial my initial take is just kind of like, wince at that and be like why that's not needed but you know i'm also i'm also just kind of like why not what you know let's just see how does it what, what is the outcome of this decision so i don't know what the end of march will look like uh, in terms of releases obviously that'll be well past uh some of the heavy hitters like elden ring uh some maybe it'll be a good time for me to try that but uh moving back from february to march for uh king arthur knight's tale hmm. that's kind of my take too like huh, hmm. all right hmm. i'll reconvene <laughs> back in march yep <laughs> All right, I saw this uh, listed on uh, one of the news posts, but I didn't originally put it in the podcast, but it looks like Josh put it back in. Uh, this is for the Hyperdimension Neptunia Sisters versus Sisters side game. I do remember we talked about this back when it was announced for Japan in, I believe, November. And it still doesn't, to my knowledge, have any localization announcement from CompileHeart. Mm-hmm. But it, they announced uh, basically some... Uh, battle system details some you know photo mode stuff some very specific things but also some like crossover stuff so uh yeah. josh i think you're a little bit more well versed here what 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 are we looking at it was a weird one it's also really funny entirely because i saw james's twitter and he was like kind of freaking out over a, a, a portion of this too but um 
you know, the the Neptunia series, as you know, a lot of people know, is it contains in-game personifications of like what the console wars are. So there's like, you know, the personification for PlayStation, for Nintendo, or Xbox. Uh, and then like and, uh, and then the main one is like the hypothetical if Sega was still alive doing consoles, uh, they they're like the main characters of that. Uh, in in this game, uh, they they also you know aside from like the sisters of the you know the main characters of those games being the, at the spotlight, they also have crossover characters for um, the Higurashi When They Cry series and uh, Team Shanghai Alice, which is basically Toho, the Toho, uh, the the one man Toho company uh and I, I saw that james on twitter was like he's like what wait there's higurashi in this game yeah it, it it's funny because you look at the design and it's like that is definitely like legally distinct reina yeah like... yeah reina from higurashi she's she's uh she's uh best characterized for uh using a machete uh, in that series, and uh, in this game, there's this character, and uh, like a mix let, between let me, not just any machete, like a machete with like almost like an ice pick at the very top. So it's like you look at this, uh, yeah, Junia's weapon. It's like, yep, that is very distinctively uh, Reina's uh, weapon. And these characters are literally called uh, Higurashi when they cry and Team Shanghai Alice. That is their name. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the company's name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so and, and of course they they went the whole uh, way with it. With uh, they have Mai Nakahara uh, voice of Higurashi when they cry, which is literally the same voice actress as Reina uh, in the Higurashi anime series. And in the in the screenshots they show for Higurashi when they cry, she does the the really scary eyes that Reina does, and uh, she's uh, very serious about murder. Uh, let's say, and it's just it's really funny. Uh, this is not the first time that the Neptune series has dipped into like uh in-game personification of like uh like series um like i know like the hyper devotion noir vita game which was ported you know elsewhere they had like in-game personifications for like the metal gear series and the yakuza series and so it's it's funny to see them revisit this because the the way like i don't really care much like obviously for this game, I don't know. It's very unlikely I'm gonna pick up this game. All the clips, the video gameplay clips they showed of this game is like, eh, whatever. I don't know. Um, but it's always amusing to see how they um, make personifications of characters of a series. Like, what traits of the series will they have in that character design? Obviously, for like Team Shanghai Atlas, like this character is a shrine maiden that has just like littered with ribbons throughout her outfit, which is you know. That's kind of a, a a theme of the Toho character designs. Is like they're all shrine maidens, and they have they they love ribbons. I don't know anything else about Toho, but yes, that is, that looks like a Toho character. And so this that, uh, does not have totally. a uh, does not have a official announcement yet. It for for a Western release, it is releasing in Japan for PlayStation Four and Five on April twenty first. Uh, the last bit on the podcast doc here is an announcement about you can now pre-order a special edition for trails from zero which is obviously releasing this uh this Hot fall 2022 game yeah, yeah so uh, the game that we talked about the reason why it wasn't on our anticipated list is because all four of us here now that adam is not here hope he feels better uh, all four of us have played this game and i think all four of us are pretty damn high on trails from zero so yeah I'm, 
so it was it is definitely a game that we will be discussing when it comes to end of the year stuff this year even though it wasn't on our most anticipated uh but anyways um the, it's a limited edition for both ps4 or switch uh 90 that you can pre-order at nice america's website a physical copy of the game it's got a hardcover art book a soundtrack select cd um and a few other things and a cloth poster and a collector's box and a steel book. And I don't know specifically the differences between the switch and the PS4 goodies, but uh, links are all There's up. There's no on difference the... besides the uh, physical copy. They're oh, also good. selling a, <laughs> a oh, drills yeah. from zero 1000 piece puzzle. What? And they have a Lloyd uh, plushie since, uh, like, uh, say what you will about uh, Nisa. They definitely go all out when it comes to, like, the limited editions and merchandise. They definitely make good limited editions. I, I still have the, what is it, the Yeast 8 uh, collector's edition. I think that's actually one of the best collector's edition out there. Can't the wait one. for when they finally announce uh, Labyrinth of Gallery as localization, just so I can see what they do for the limited edition. If only it was cheaper to get to Canada. It's like thirty dollars to ship this. Thirty dollar USD. Rep. The Lloyd oh. plushie looks so creepy, dude. I don't know if I can I can drive with the Lloyd plushie design for them. Uh, what they're selling here. It looks like um, uh, a Funko Pop. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like plushies, but I don't know if I want a plushie of a character. I want one of like a mascot. But what would, what would a mascot be? A Mugo. Any Kupo Kupo. No, not, not they, these, of uh, specifically a Kiseki though. A oh, palm? they have a. Oh, the they, they do have a palm plushie that they sell. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. All right, a palm. What? What is the? Uh, okay. Mishi. Um, yeah, Mishi. Maybe that was about... included in the Cold Steel Three uh, limited edition. Oh, uh, that that does remind me. Another game that I was hoping to poke at in between other games because I just keep putting it off, is Cold Steel 4. Uh, but so I'll what about the point. pig and the you, use you case? Know what, you know what, Brian? You don't have to play Cold Steel 4 yet. You, you can wait until Reverie is closer to release. That way you don't have to wait between the ending of Cold Steel 4 and Reverie. That's true. But yeah, that's uh, also... Put off Reverie. By the time you get around, you're putting like, it oh, on. No. That's like, like I would, I would, I like honestly, I wouldn't probably wait to the like I wouldn't wait for Trails of Reverie to come around the corner because that game is so exhausting to play that like you'll never want to touch a Trails game for a while. Just don't it. play it. Is that the best? I I disagree. I feel like Reverie is one of the games in the series that has the best pacing, actually. And but I, I, I like it, like Trails of Reverie. But what I'm saying is after after playing Cold Steel Four. You'll, it, oh it, 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 yeah, like, that's yeah. It, it, yeah. it feels exhausting to play through Cold Steel for that. After you're done with it, you 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 don't want to touch a Kiseki game for a, a, a long while. Yeah, after that's it. what you meant. I don't yeah. know. A lot of my close friends kind of stopped playing Cold Steel for the filler just got to them. It was just too many quests to a point. It's like, yeah, I just want to do the main story, but I'm also the completionist person. Well, we, we've also area. learned that when Chow, when push comes to swing, when push comes to shove, Chow will just watch it on YouTube. We've learned that. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a real truth oh, there. Oh yeah, chat. Have you have you played? Had you Mario yet? Yeah, yeah. I, I bought it. I played about the first hour of it, and it's pretty okay. Yes, the first hour. Yes. The first he, he, hour, he, he watched the first yeah, hour, and, 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 and then and then uh, watched the, oh, the, the. He watched. The, he watched the like hours. one cutscene. Nah, 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 nah. So Josh knows what I what I mean when I say this. He did, he hasn't even seen the fake out credits. Oh no, no, yeah. 
Man, uh, do I have to beat this speed run before this game comes out? Jesus. I mean, you know what, Chow? I, I challenge you. I challenge you to get caught up in time for Kuro 2. Easy. Easy. easy? Oh, it's dang. easy if you uh, if you. They have, like, it is too. easy. They I have, mean, like, it is easy because I well, did go through Hajimari and Kuro in about like a month and a half. If you like, count, you're also like, a machine. Yeah. They also. Uh, it's like if you worry about waiting for English versions first, it's like hey, we got like probably ten years before Kuro comes out. That's true. No, so. no, you can you can deal with the with the original version. I know you can. You can't say that you can't, considering all those guides you made for the uh, Japanese only games. Yeah, where's my Hajimari guide, Chow? Oh man, I did been taking screenshots of all the maps. Concerned, thinking <laughs> like. Do I need to make a guide or no? Where's my Cold Steel 4 guide, Chow? Oh, Cold Steel 4 guide's done. Cold Steel 4 guide's done. But it's done? No way. I don't believe you. Uh, you Where's my my Stella Glow guide? I already got that done as well. I can link that for you. I need, I need to play it in preparation for Endwalker. Anyways, if you made it to the end of this podcast, we're just spinning our wheels at this point. Uh, but yes, Trails from Zero is a game that we obviously are looking forward to, even though it didn't appear on our anticipated list just due to some weird specific logistical reasons in terms of we've already played it. So it's hard to anticipate can something. Even, can we even say that any one of us here is actually like looking forward to it if we've already played it? That's a good point. It's like uh, we're looking forward to maybe refresh well i say i've only played it last year so it's not like it's been that long for me but it's a very interesting kind of situation for that game well i've never played the english version of zero so maybe that's and then we don't know obviously i played it in english from the fan translation and i don't know to what extent it'll be different in the official localization it'll it'll be different in the sense that we're all looking for the steve achievement artwork on the cards yeah, no, they, uh, I actually, you, I don't know how serious you're being, but I actually do kind of oh, enjoy I'm serious. it. Yeah, they're they're usually, they really usually good. do like the, like a fan artist or they contract someone yeah. out to do those artworks. And it's usually pretty cool and pretty unique yeah, rather than just doing like well. crops of official art from the characters or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot they're of lazy good. ways to do it. They, uh, but yeah. they, they do a good job with that. But yeah, that, that covers all the topics. So a little bit of a different sort of take on this podcast, a little bit less on games we've been playing, and a little bit of just kind of going through some trailers of stuff we're looking forward to. Uh, we're able to give some some indie games or due diligence in terms of giving them a shout out on this podcast. And obviously, uh, shout out to Adam, who covers all of these up on our site. So all of these trailers, all these news posts are up on our site. There are also a bunch of like Genshin Impact and Final Fantasy fourteen guides up on the site that uh, Andrea has been basically churning out at a crazy pace so if you're still playing those games uh ciao uh, yes. <laughs> need... there's there's a little new area exploring genshin that is actually very cool and they also added a new archon story so wow well, this is the most positive back. i've seen ciao talk about genshin in months yeah <laughs> Are you uh, uh no just, just, just wait next week until he says, I have nothing to do again, or whatever. But anyway, there yeah. There is always nothing to do. It's bad enough. Uh, yeah, yeah so we... it, it, it's, it's an amazing game to play every time when there's a major big patch to come in, like version 3.0 or version 2.0 or something like that. But the content is just not long enough to... Okay, what are you expecting out of Genshin Year 2 before we get out of here? Um, I hope there's an end game instead of nothing. Because what really Genshin's problem is there is no end game, and 
it's like you're just sitting there doing nothing when when you know. all right here comes end game end game real time pvp no the pvp is not the solution <laughs> while we're talking about things on the site one thing i did forget to shout out is that we do have one new review up uh and that is it's a little bit of a tardy one and that is the good life from sweary and playism the publisher uh cullen wrote this up for us and the uh, you can read it. He didn't like it sort of thing. And I haven't read his review and I don't know much about uh, Swery's, you know, history to know like what to expect from this game. But do you want to just give a shout out that we do have a review for The Good Life up on the site? It's there. The Good Life, more like The Bad Life. Uh, the life. <laughs> I take it to come up with that. But yep. And if so, thank you so much for listening. As always, we have a few things that we're looking forward to in late January. So we're excited to talk about that. Uh, obviously, stay safe. We've got, you know, Adam is feeling sick. We don't know exactly what it is. So we hope we, he, we hope that he feels better. We hope that you all stay safe and do what's needed to take care of yourselves. Uh, we do have all of our normal social channels updated for uh, new 2022, some new Twitter banners for some of the games we're anticipating for this year. So we obviously are RPG site on Twitter, on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Our main website is of course, rpgsite.net and uh, discord slash RPG site for our discord channel. Uh, until next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you then. Later folks. Bye.